Hi, this is Michelle Specht. I play Dr. Elise McKenna on Star Trek Continues. Oh my God, I'm totally fangirling right now because I just met Dan Davidson and Bill Smith of the Trek Geeks podcast. Oh my gosh, they are amazing. From just outside the Senate chambers on Romulus, in a secret Podfleet Command broadcasting booth. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. It's Trek Geeks, your independent Star Trek podcast. We're so happy you're here. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for listening. Um, We're excited to talk about an episode tonight. My name is Bill Smith. I'm your co-host. And we've got episode number 145 for you today, Um, which every time I say that number, it it just astounds me that we've actually done 145 of these. So, and when I say we, of course, I do mean my uh, my illustrious and esteemed co-host. He is somebody to whom I would introduce the quickening virus in a heartbeat, and then leave him on the planet um, in a Tal Shiar plot to you know get rid of the planet. I guess what I'm just trying to say is I get rid of him the first chance I get. But he's my co-host today. He's the lovely and talented Dan Davidson, and Dan. Welcome aboard, buddy. You ready for some intrigue? I'm ready for some intrigue. You're never getting rid of me. I, I just got to say it right now. I, just, I, just I am so screwed. Yes. Let's just take care of that right now. I'm here for the long haul. You're never going to get rid of me. I'm like a shadow, man. I'm always there. But uh, it's glad to be here. I'm glad to be here. It's glad to be here. And uh, I'm very excited to talk about what we're going to talk about today because it's one of the best episodes. It's one of the best Section 31 episodes. Dude, we're talking Section 31 today. <laughs> We really are, and the fact that you've avoided saying the name uh, leads me to believe it's my job because you're afraid you're going to mess it up. Oh, so- <laughs> no, no, not at all. Not at all. I'd be happy to although, try. <laughs> although that, that possibility is a very real likelihood if people listen to this podcast. Can I try? Oh, yeah. Go right all ahead. Right. Well, hey, thanks for joining Trek Geeks today. Today, we're going to talk about a very special episode of Deep Space Nine. It's Inter Arma Enum Sealant Legus. From Deep Space Nine, Season 7, Amazing Episode, Intrigue, Section 31, Bashir, The Admiral, The Romulans. It's all in there. We're ready to go. Back to you, Bill Smith. And, and Damar, right? There's no Damar. But it says Legus Damar. Le- wow, really? Inter Arna Enum, Sealant Legus. Legus Damar. You screwed it up. I didn't. <laughs> that's what I'm focusing on right now, that part. But yes, that's very good. Legus Damar. Oh, you, sh- you should bring so, that up to Casey in Vegas. <laughs> so you're saying there's no Demar? <laughs> there's always Demar. Oh, there is always Demar. <laughs> Dan, you know what else there also is? The ability for people to send us messages or comments on how horrible our puns are. 
And uh, might you regale us with how they might accomplish that task, my friend? Absolutely, man. It is so easy to get in touch with us. Just head right on over to trekgeeks.com slash contact, and you'll find a whole bunch of ways that you can uh, get in touch with Bill or myself. You can leave us a voicemail. You can Skype chat us. You can fill out the contact form and leave us a message about anything that might be on your mind. And you can also click on the big blue button on the right side of the website and leave us a voice message using SpeakPipe. And as always, another way we can get in touch with us because we're always there. It's our official Facebook group, Camp Kittimer. There's always great things going on. There's Star Trek picks. There's contests. There's polls. Lots of STLV talk going on right now. And every Friday, oh, yes, it's the Friday Commute Celebration with Bill and I doing weekly lip syncs. And it's just really really awful um but uh, you're also going to get early access to the trek geeks podcast just for being a member so to join the group head right on over to facebook.com slash groups slash camp kittimer and you will be let right in by one of our wonderful admins heather jackie or dan but please remember that any comments or messages you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode bill well, it's amazing because when you say stuff like that, you sound so nice. Mm. And I mean, such well, a, such a lie. You're not. No, yeah, exactly. No, no. You're just a big jerk. Jerk face. Yes. And stuff. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's get back to business. Dan, it's time for the news from treknews.net. Spanning the Alpha Quadrant. For all the news on all the Star Treks, yo. It's treknews.net. Online at treknews.net. And I think we just lost Dan. <laughs> oh, wow. You all right there? You need a breather? No, I'm good. <laughs> I'm okay. Yep. Shake it off. I'm good. Put some dirt on it. Well, Dana, up first in news, um, as we sit here recording this, we have 10 days to go until Star Trek Las Vegas 2018. And the list for STLV has grown pretty significantly just this week alone. Oh, yes, it has. Uh, this was a we knew that there was going to be a mystery guest announced, but we didn't expect mystery guests, plural and a lot. Yes. Uh, series stars, Sonequa Martin-Green, Doug Jones, Anthony Rapp, Mary Wiseman, Shazad Latif, Anson Mount have all been announced to join the likes of Jason Isaacs, Mary Chifo, Wilson Cruz, James Frain, Ken Mitchell. The list goes on and on. They're all going to be at STLV. It is going to be the largest gathering of Discovery cast and crew to date, and I think it's going to be the largest cast of any of the Trek series to ever be in one spot for a convention. It's absolutely amazing. In addition to all those great actors who are going to be there, Emmy-nominated makeup artists Glenn Hetrick and Neville Page will be there, along with costume designer Gersha Phillips and Discovery composer Jeff Russo. So this is huge. The amount of Discovery that's going to be there is great with Season 2 coming up. 
I'm just ecstatic that we're going to see this many uh, Discovery folks. And I've signed up for a couple photo ops. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Which ones are you getting? Uh, the wonderful and talented uh, Mary Wiseman and my pal, my bud, my Saru, Doug Jones. Very nice. Uh, just a, a, a late breaking update just happened just this week. Um, but Neville Page has actually had to cancel his appearance at STLV. Oh. So unfortunately, he won't be there. But Glenn Hetrick will still be there. And, and Glenn's work is absolutely amazing. Excellent. And Dan, do you want to know what I learned from listening to melodic treks over on Trek FM? Brandon Shamutala's wonderful podcast about the music of Star Trek. Tell me all about it, eh? Is that Jeff Russo, composer for Star Trek Discovery, um, is also one of the founders of the band Tonic. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. I didn't know that either. Um, and I think that's really cool. <laughs> that's wow. That's like a that's like a kick in the head. That's pretty awesome. No, that's Dean Martin. He did nothing with him. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Mm-hmm. No, I've uh, I've signed up for some autographs myself. I've got a great print from Bye Bye Robot that uh, that I'm looking forward to collecting Discovery Cast autographs on that I will hang in my future office someday um, at home. But um, I'm I'm so psyched. Uh, I'm hoping that they'll announce a Discovery Cast uh, photo op mm-hmm. or at least portions of the cast sure. you know, to break it up in smaller chunks, price wise at least. Because if the TNG one for TNG 30 taught me anything, that would be hella expensive. Hella. Hella. Uh, Speaking of STLV, before we get off onto another topic, I just wanted to say this is the most photo ops that I have ever done for a convention coming up for this one uh, with the addition of the Discovery cast. And you you, uh, had a very good point that I wanted to make sure all our listeners were aware of. Excuse me. There is speculation that this year may be Nichelle Nichols' last convention at Vegas. So um, with your wonderful advice, I've actually added her as a photo op just so that I can thank her for everything that she's done in case this is her last one. So I thought that that was cool and I wanted to mention that. Nichelle was, you know, the first crush I ever had as a, as a boy, you know, it's kind of cute in hindsight, but I mean, that person for me was Nichelle Nichols as Lieutenant Mm -hmm. Uhura. And, you know, it's just, it's something I've been meaning to do for years. And if, if this is indeed her last appearance at SDLV, because, you know, we all get older. I mean, I understand it. Mm -hmm. Um, then I I definitely want to take advantage of this to get my photo taken with Nichelle because I've, I've loved her. I've always loved her. She is just such a wonderful person in the Star Trek universe and in general. Yeah. And um, I, I figure it's uh, it, it's probably the right time to do it. Yeah. And it's something I will treasure always. I agree. And um, from what I saw on the creation website, for any of those folks who are interested and may want to have their picture taken with with Nichelle, she will be doing three days of photo ops, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, I believe. So uh, get your tickets. It's a once-in-a-lifetime event, especially if this is going to be her last one. Absolutely. Dan, moving on, there was a different convention this past weekend in San Diego, Ah. which is, of course, German for the largest comic book convention on the planet. Of course, I'm speaking of San Diego Comic-Con, and there was a lot of Star Trek Discovery going on in Hall H on Friday afternoon, believe me. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, uh, Discovery has been well represented at San Diego Comic-Con for the last couple of years, and and uh, this past Friday was no exception. Lots of good stuff uh, was uh, announced and revealed. 
Uh, just a few of the things. Uh, season two will air sometime in early 2019, um, which seems like it's a long way away, but it really isn't. It's only a few short months away. But in December, there are going to be four standalone shorts called Short Treks that will be coming out. I'm not sure exactly what medium it's going to be on, if it'll be on CBS All Access or just the web or whatnot, but uh, looking forward to that. That They'll be about uh, 10 to 15 minutes in length, each one, and we know that one of them will be a Saru backstory, which is which is kind of interesting. Uh, what do you think about that, Bill? I think that's pretty neat that we're going to get these little shorts. I think it's fantastic. I think it's such a wonderful expansion of the Star Trek universe. Um, you know, we know we're going to see a new character in one of them played by Aldous Hodge. We know we're going to see Rain Wilson as Harry Mudd, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. We're going to see a Tilly one, which I'm very excited about. And of course, like you said, the Saru backstory. Um, plus, we uh, well, maybe you're going to get to this later as we talk about more about season two. But uh, I know we're going to learn a lot about Saru in one particular episode. Yes, it's, uh, you know, as I talked about before Discovery even started, I think Saru is going to quickly become one of my favorite characters, if not my favorite character, and he certainly has. So I can't wait to see what happens uh, with that great character and storyline. But some other news that was announced is it was confirmed that we will see Spock in season two. No idea who's going to play him, how it's going to be done, or in what context we're going to see him, but excited about that. Um, I think the news that I was most excited about, though, and and I just cannot wait to see, is that everyone remembers number one from the cage, played by Majel Barrett in the original TOS episode. Well, we are going to see number one in season two of Discovery, and is going to be played by the wonderful and talented Rebecca Romp, uh, Romaine, excuse me. I always want to say Romjen for some reason. Maybe it's because of the spelling. But yes, Rebecca Romaine will be playing number one. That was revealed uh, this past Friday. I'm so excited about that and cannot wait to see her in that TOS uniform. Uh, and finally, a trailer was played for season two. And needless to say, it was unfreaking believable. This upcoming season is going to be amazing. And from what we saw, 2019 cannot get here fast enough, man. Yeah, when they said early 2019, I'm like, I'm hoping it's like January 2nd. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, we also learned that there's going to be an episode where they go to Saru's home planet. Yes, that's right. So that's exciting. I mean, Uh you got Rebecca Romaine, you got Spock. Well, you know, Frakes teased, what, last month or so that we are going to see young Spock. Yes. Probably in a flashback. Mm-hmm. We don't know if that's what they're talking about or not. It could be. We don't know if we're going to see an adult Spock, but uh, I guess all will be revealed in 2019. Ah, oh, the wait is going to suck. <laughs> it's like commuting with you every day. Okay. It's like commuting with you every day, but a hundred times worse. <laughs> wow. And that's already pretty bad. So uh, I... I can't wait to see what they talk about in Vegas. If there's anything additional they talk about in Vegas, mm-hmm. uh, Dan, rumor has it, there could be a very special episode of a podcast that you and I are pretty fond of talking about the reaction of the trailer sometime very, very soon. Is that uh, true? I would have to say probably. Yeah. Um, yeah. A discovering Trek is on top of things, man. So we're going to be uh, sitting down and discussing all the reveals that took place uh, this past weekend as we record out in San Diego because there was just so much great news. We couldn't let our Discovering Trek listeners just sit there and wonder what was going on. So we're going to be filling y'all in, yo. Yeah. 
<laughs> Dan, moving on, because we're going to have a lot to talk about on that Discovering Trek installment. You and I have been occasionally known to imbibe a, a refreshing adult beverage from time to time. And mm. soon we're going to have a new vodka, which is quite literally out of this world. Ten Forward Vodka. What a great name. It's, it's, I'm very excited about this. Yes, 10 Forward Vodka will be joining James T. Kirk Straight Bourbon Whiskey as part of Silver Screen Bottling Company's new line of Star Trek branded spirits. And what I find very interesting, as was reported by StarTrek.com, is that 10 Forward Vodka will actually travel into space before it's blended into the stocks of the premium spirit, ensuring that a portion of every bottle will, as you just said, Bill, contain truly out-of-this-world vodka. That's pretty cool. Um, the vodka, which was inspired, of course, by the 10 Forward Lounge on the Enterprise D, is made from American uh, choice American grain and is distilled six times. And what I love so much about this 10 Forward vodka is the bottle. Uh, graphic designer and Star Trek veteran Mike Okuda lent his talents to the design of this bottle and it just looks amazing amazing it's really cool stuff i um i i'm almost surprised they didn't you know make this Chekhov's vodka <laughs> yeah right because that would have been right you know right. I, that, but hey 10 forward you're right the bottle looks amazing i'm not gonna lie i've pre-ordered a couple of bottles what <laughs> well, i'm right. not really a bourbon drinker so uh, um uh, although i'm willing to try it uh, i've heard from uh from our friend John Champion, um, that it, it makes it a decent old fashioned. So it, uh, it, it's, it's definitely, you know, consumable. So I can imagine the vodka is, uh, probably pretty good too. I'm not a bourbon drinker at all, but I probably will get a bottle of that just so that I can display it in my new bar. Oh, very nice. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Very cool. And Dan, finally in news, oh, as SDLV gets closer and closer and closer, we are incredibly excited about the second annual Fan Geeks party with our friends at Fansats. And uh, as we saw announced this week, we are going to have a special commemorative pin for everyone who comes to the party. What are you talking about? No, I'm just kidding. You guys. <laughs> what do you mean, what am I talking about? <laughs> yes, um, uh, we're so excited about this, uh, Bill, as announced on our Trek Geeks Facebook page and Twitter page and Camp Kittimer. Uh, the second annual Fan Geeks Party pin is complete and will be available to everyone who shows up at the party free. We're just going to hand it to you as you walk in as our thank you for being part of this Fan Geeks party. It's absolutely gorgeous. It is reminiscent of the famous Welcome to Las Vegas sign, except it says Fan Geeks in each uh, each letter of where Las Vegas usually would be is a letter of Fan Geeks. Um, the guys over at Fan Geeks did a tremendous job in the design of this pen. Uh, we've seen it firsthand. We've held them. They're gorgeous. And uh, I can't wait to start handing them out to all the people that show up that night. You know, it's a uh, it's a really cool idea they've come up with. We're going to start doing a, a commemorative pin for every party. Hopefully, we're on board for all of them, <laughs> 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 or else it's 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 going to look pretty funny with Trek geeks on there, and we're not at the party. <laughs> um, no, but uh, we want everyone to have a great time. So come as you are. You don't have to dress up for this. Um, you know, if you're in costume, great. If you're in shorts, great. We don't care. Just come have a great time with us at the other room at the forum shops at Caesars Palace on the legendary Las Vegas Strip for the only Star Trek party on the Strip, Dan. That's I mean, pretty cool. that, that is incredibly cool. Yeah. I mean, there are all kinds of parties in Vegas. 
and the only high concentration of Trekkies is happening at our party on this trip. It's it's pretty amazing. But uh, we are going to be giving away so much stuff that it is unreal. Do you like pins? You're going to want to be there because you're going to be getting so many giveaways with so many incredible sets of pins. Uh, we've had uh, a, a sneak peek at some of the things that the folks at fan sets are going to be giving away at this party. And believe me, you want to be there to win. And it's not going to be very hard to win this stuff because we're basically going to be playing some some Stump the Geek with the audience and winners are going to win great stuff. Um, and they're gonna, they're not going to be questions that Bill throws at me that, that people like are going to be like, what are you talking about? They're going to be easy questions. Like who's the smarter of the two Trek geeks? I mean, that's, that's, I mean, that's just the easiest question in the world. Bill, uh, Thank you. And, uh, yep. so, so show up. I mean, there's going to be whole sets of pins given away at this party. You want, you want to be there. You don't want to miss it. Rumor has it, Bill. And I, and I, I may be, you know, spilling the beans a little early, but. You folks saw that uh, William Shatner was kind enough to autograph uh, some pins in a new line that Fansets is going to be throwing out there. Uh, William Shatner signature pin, and one of those is going to be given away at the party. That's just a little sneak peek for you. I am stunned. I mean, that is a, a fantastic pin. It's a great collectible. I mean, it takes the quality of Fansets pin and, and the autograph of somebody like uh, legendary like William Shatner, and it gives you something that you're going to be proud to to have in your collection for decades to come. Believe me, right? And we're gonna give we're gonna give one away. We are. And one of the coolest things about this pin is it's not a representation of his autograph. He didn't just sign one, and then they t- he signed a hundred of them. All of them are actual signatures that he signed himself when uh, Lou and John met with him a while back. So you're getting an authentic autograph pin as one of the giveaways uh, at the party. So, so be there. It's going to be awesome. And as you said, Bill, the only Star Trek party on the strip and literally it's on the strip because in addition to the, the other room uh, bar area that we had last year, we also have the outside area for folks to congregate and talk Star Trek and have fun and win pins. It's going to be awesome. It is. That's Friday, August 3rd from 8 to 11 p.m. Pacific time at the other room at the forum shops at Caesars Palace. If you're taking an Uber or a Lyft over to the party, the Uber stop is literally right outside the front door to the bar. You can't miss it. So um, we hope you'll join us. It's going to be a fantastic evening. And uh, come get some pins, yo, because we're giving away a ton. (laughs) Hey. It's not often that we talk section 31, but I think if there's one episode that really kind of stands out in the way it's architected and in the story that it tells, it's probably this one. And I'm speaking of season seven's inter arma Inem sealant legas, where um, there's a whole lot of Latin and a whole lot of words. <laughs> I don't know much Latin and I usually screw up when I say it, but uh, yeah. Uh, how many times have I had to actually read it instead of just remember it off the top of my head? But for me, you know how I feel about Section 31, and and we probably haven't talked a lot about Section 31 because um, you're not supposed to talk about Section 31. But uh, we are going to talk about it today in depth because, in my opinion, this is one of the best Section 31 episodes, uh, brilliantly acted by so many people. And uh, I think it's about time. Of course, Deep Space Nine's 25th anniversary this year. We're going to talk about a whole bunch of episodes, and this was one that we couldn't just let 
not get talked about. So here we are. Well, honestly, how can you talk about something that doesn't exist, Dan? There is no Section 31. Come on. Shh. Don't tell anybody. (laughs) But the premise here is really kind of interesting. I mean, so, you know, the... The Federation has formed a, a kind of shaky alliance with the Romulans and the Dominion War. And Dr. Bashir gets to attend a, a conference on Romulus and becomes really kind of thrown into this elaborate scheme devised by Sloan in Section 31 to ensure that Romulus remains on the side of the Federation in the war. Now, that sounds kind of confusing, and in a way it kind of is. And you can almost tell without looking at the credits on this one, Dan, that it's written by Ron Moore because it is lots of wordiness, as I said earlier. <laughs> yes, it certainly is. That's a good point. I never really thought about that, but uh, there's a lot of discussion in this. And one of the things I find interesting about this episode is, yes, uh, Section 31 devises this this scheme so that the Romulans remain on the side of the Federation. But as Bashir points out in the episode, at the same time, they're also taking the pulse of the Romulan government because, as Bashir said, this war hasn't even ended and they're already planning for the next one. And they want to see what Romulus is up to and, and uh, what position they'll be in after the dominion war. So lots of intrigue, lots of worriness, like you said. Um, yeah, I, I, I never even thought about that, but, uh, that's a good, very good point, man. You're, you're a very smart man. I guess well, I, I try. Yeah. Well, you know, I say that because this episode has an incredibly high degree of intrigue more than a lot of episodes of beep space nine. And if you look at this episode, it seems like it could possibly have inspired elements of Ron Moore's Battlestar Galactica reboot with the way some of this politics works. Um, it, it's it's a very well crafted episode. It's a very uh, it, it's a very tight episode in that I mean you really have to pay attention to it. I mean if you happen to step out of the room to refill your water or whatever, you're going to miss something. Right. You know there's there's a lot to see here and there's a lot to hear. Um, and uh, I think that uh, initially I have to go back to the title. I mean, it's it's no mistake that or no coincidence that he's chosen this title for this episode. You know, um, as Bashir points out, you know, it inter arma item sealant legus translates to roughly in, in times of war, the laws fall, fall silent. And in a way, looking at this from from my eyes today in, in 2018, I kind of feel like this episode sets some sort of precedent for Star Trek Discovery in a way. I think that in Discovery, Starfleet has to do something it's not used to doing at all, which is prosecuting a war. And although DS9 did it first with the Dominion, this quote from Cicero is very relevant for today's Trek because Starfleet has had to be very un-Starfleet in both situations. That's a very good way. That's a very interesting way to look at it uh, when relating to Discovery. But as you were as you were saying that, I was thinking about different scenes in Discovery where that certainly is very uh, prevalent. And you know, there's some scenes where they were discussing the what's the word duplicitness, duplicitous. I don't even know what the word is um, about what Starfleet was doing um, if with regards to the war in Discovery and. I, when you stop and think about it, you're you're very right, Bill. This episode has a lot of, I don't know, seeds, maybe is a good word, for what we saw in Discovery. And that's one of the things that I like about Discovery is that they're able to very subtly make these connections uh, with other um, Star Trek series and 
make something out of it. So that's a very good connection. I like that. You're, like I said, you're a very smart man. You see what I'm doing here is I'm trying to tell people the answer to that question for the, uh, for the uh, fan geeks part. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, you're way too kind. Um, but, you know, when we, when we look at the phrase, you know, in time of war, the law falls silent. There are lots of examples of this in human history too. I mean, in modern days, it's generally used to describe a, a curtailing of civil liberties you know, immediately after 9-11 in the United States, there were those who were critical of what was called the Patriot Act, uh, claiming that it was a, a curtailing of, of civil liberties and in using a phrase like this to describe it. Um, but in this episode, you know, Bashir is kind of us in that sense, mm. you know, both as, as Star Trek fans and as average people, because he's speaking truth to the obvious shortcuts that people in power often take to justify their actions in a time of crisis. And that's kind of what's going on here. You know, the Federation isn't doing as well in the war as, as they'd hope. I mean, it's, it's by no means a slam dunk. And the alliance with Romulus is, is tenuous at best. And they have to maintain it somehow. And Bashir is in this plot. And really, he's kind of a patsy if you think about it. And it, it's all to protect the... the well, the word that keeps coming to my mind is wrongdoings of Section 31. Well, look at how Romul Romulus got into the war in the first place. That was yeah. not done in a way that was uh, honorable, I guess, maybe is the best way to put it. I mean, we, not all all. Know, we all know what, what Cisco and, and, and some of his people did in order to get uh, Romulus to come into the war. Um, and so uh, are we surprised that something like this may happen uh, as a chapter two of the whole Romulans in the war type situation? And of course, when you're dealing with section 31, you know that you're going to be dealing with with uh, them doing things that aren't exactly, um, oh, I don't know, honorable or, or civilized. But you're absolutely right. I mean, we can take a look at this episode and there is so much modern day politics that we could dissect as a result of what we see in this episode but of course we're not going to do that but it it shows that once again that we've always seen the writers take things from modern day and they're able to put it into an episode of star trek and science fiction that makes it work and really makes you start thinking about things like we've been discussing here the last few minutes yeah, we definitely don't want to drift into Politrex territory because right. that's something that uh, Barry and Shashank would uh, would absolutely do a fantastic job with. Mm -hmm. um, but but purely just from uh, examining this as a Star Trek episode, um, uh, I felt that it, it probably made sense to talk about a little bit because it, like you're right, it, it does mirror you know countries all over the world. It's not just the United States. It's not just you know insert name of country here. It happens all over the world. Um, the curtailing of civil liberties. And it's interesting to see it in the scope of the Star Trek universe. Um, one of the things that kind of impresses me about this episode is that it's totally a bottle show, but they actually use the Voyager sets to change it up, <laughs> which <laughs> yeah. I think is kind of brilliant. Let me ask you this. Um, have you ever uh, screen froze uh, the episode to see if that actually says Voyager on the hull or if it says the actual name of the ship they're using. The no, it does say the Bellerophon. It does say the Bellerophon. Okay. Um, I always have a hard time saying that ship name. I don't even know what it means or what it's, what it's uh, related to. I'll have to look that up. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been, well, see, that would have been a great stump the geek question, which now you can never use. 
<laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but no, I, I thought it was interesting that they chose to do a bottle show in this way because they had the ability to. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, you know, it's not often you see that. I mean, we didn't really see it with with TNG and, and Deep, Deep Space Nine when they were on at the same time for the most part. Um, Bellerophon is a hero from Greek mythology. He was the greatest hero and slayer of monsters ah. um, before the days of Heracles. And his greatest feat was killing the Chimera, a oh. monster that Homer depicted with a lion's head, a goat's body, and mm-hmm. a serpent's tail, which is amazing because that looks just like Dan Davidson. Wow. Okay. Thank you. One of the, and it's interesting that that's the name of the ship they use when you think about what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, and I, that's very cool. One of the things I did like, you, you talk about how they use the Voyager sets, except for the exterior shot. I never think of Voyager when they're doing the interiors. And I think that's a credit to changing the sets up just a little bit so that you don't think of Voyager. And that's, that's another great uh, production move on the, on the, the crew of, of DS nine at the time. So key to this episode is the recruitment of Julian Bashir by section 31. You know, he initially says he's not going to do it, but you know, Cisco says, well, Admiral Ross thinks we should, which we'll get into in a bit, but you know, Sloan stops by. And of course, it's always a party when Luther Sloan stops in. Oh, yeah. Um, but he always seems to be watching Bashir sleep. What's up with that, dude? Oh, yeah. Well, maybe he's watching Kukulaka and not Bashir. <laughs> <laughs> well, so he recruits Bashir because he says, you know, Bashir loves secrets. And, and Sloan is exactly that. He is just nothing but secrets. And he knows that, that Julian can't resist that on some level. So I, I think that Sloan is, he's of course a master manipulator, but he knows exactly what Bashir is going to do right after he leaves. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's a question for you. Okay. So right after Sloan leaves, Julian goes into his nightstand and pulls out a phaser. Um, why didn't he just pull out the phaser and stun Sloan while he was sitting there? Good point. You know, maybe he was, you know, not disagreeing with Sloan while he was giving his speech. So that's why, because, you know, as much as, as we love Bashir and everything, Sloan's right. That's the type of person Bashir seems to be. He loves the secrets. And even though he reluctantly doesn't want to be part of section 31, I think deep down, he kind of does want to be part of section 31. So maybe it's the, after he leaves the slap in the face or the, or, or the cold water poured over, over his head makes him realize that he needs to, to do something. So that's why he reaches for the phaser. Very, very nicely kept in an unlocked drawer. I might add. Um, and then he runs out in his pajamas into the hallway and, and he's nowhere to be found. Well, it's still better than Aquiel, where the phaser was in a plant, right? <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and we also know that Julian loves the intrigue, right? As, he does. From his, his holodeck portrayal of in our man Bashir mm-hmm. and um, of, of being the very James Bond type hero in a couple of episodes. So, I mean, uh, Sloan plays him like a fiddle and he recruits him. It's that simple. Um so part key to this whole episode is, is Julian going to the conference on Romulus to evaluate one or the head of the Telshiar. Yes. Um, but then he gets there and he finds out Sloan's there. Right. Was it a mistake for Sloan to be there? I mean, did he really need to be present for this to work? I think if you're watching the episode for the first time and you see him, yes, it's a mistake, but after everything that takes place in the episode and especially at the end of the episode, it was all done in a way to, we'll get to, to the end result, but I think it was 
critical for him to be there for that end game part where everything is, is quote unquote revealed. Um, but for the first time watcher, I, I, I remember doing this. I'm like, what is he doing here? He's going to cause a problem. What if, you know, something bad happens and something bad happens. Um, but it's all done on purpose in my opinion. So yeah, I think he should have been there. I think it, it wouldn't have worked if he wasn't there. So do you're saying you think he was there purposefully to be discovered on purpose? Yes. So that the whole plan of, of, uh, being able to get the information from Caval and make it look like he, that there is no section 31. I think it was all, I mean, all, all a very well integrated complex plan that section 31 and Sloan came up with. Interesting. Mm. Because for years I've thought that, you know, this, this wasn't the greatest plan and there probably were ways that they could have done this a, a little more easily without going through this whole rigmarole of, of recruiting Bashir and then having him on the planet with or on Romulus with, uh, with Sloan anyway, but you've actually given me something to think about there. Well, um, think about this. <clears throat> if, if, the, if he hadn't been there and it was just a plan to get rid of, of Kretak and, and this, that, and the other thing, uh, they never really state this, but that whole database that they were talking about of Caval's, you know, perhaps they were able to get the entire database as a result of everything that happened with Sloan being there and being captured and the story of Section 31 not actually existing. If that whole thing didn't take place and Kretak didn't attempt to get that database, maybe it never got into the hands of the Federation. We don't actually know if it did or not, but that's something to think about. If it had just been, okay, we're going to get rid of Kreechak by blowing up her shuttle like Garrick did in, in the pale moonlight with the Russian senator, um, then none of this would have happened. So there may have been some layers to why they did it that we're not thinking of. Uh, that's just speculation, but it's something I like to, I, I like to say is the case. The only part of this episode I, I don't understand is why they let Bashir go. Because you figure, you know, we're never going to hear from Kreetak again. It's very likely that she's going to be dead as a result. Um, they think they've killed Sloan. What, but why do they have any interest in letting Bashir go at that point? You'd think they would hold on to him because they're Romulans. Well, Yes, they're Romulans, but also they're Romulans that have this alliance with the Federation. It was made clear in that um, tribunal or inquiry or whatever you want to call it, Senate hearing, uh, that he was pulled into this and things happened that he was not privy to the knowledge of. So he was made a pawn. So it's kind of along the lines of, okay, you've given us the information we want. You were lied to because Section 31 doesn't really exist. So you were just being played with. So we're going to let you go. Interesting. Hmm. Well, you know, the Romulans always seem to defy our expectations in many ways. Um, and it's like uh, it's like they often say in TNG, they show up and they talk a lot and they don't really don't do anything. In <laughs> um, this episode, they show up, they talk a lot. And they don't really do anything. <laughs> <laughs> I, I found it interesting with all the talk, because there's a lot of talk. There's a lot of standing around and talking. Yes. I found it interesting. We saw, and of course, I, I'm, I'm going to unfortunately compare movie budget to television budget. We saw the great exterior shots of Romulus in this episode. And then we also saw it in Nemesis. And in Nemesis, the Senate Hall was huge and and 
grand and the great map on the floor. This Senate hall that they use where the actual Praetor was sitting there was like a little tiny conference room. <laughs> I found that quite, in- I found that quite interesting, but there was the Romulan flag hanging there. So I guess it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's of two worlds. Um, one of the things I think is, is really elemental to this is the involvement of Kretak. Um, you know, obviously it's a plot to sort of neutralize her in a way because they figure her allegiance will, will go to whomever seems to be doing the best in the war it gives Romulus the best chance. And, um, she is, she becomes part of this plot thinking that she's doing the right thing. And so does Julian. And she winds up most likely dead. Um, it's, it's a really kind of an interesting statement on how Romulus works. I think it's really a kind of an interesting statement on the future and how some of these things that, that, that we assume happens in modern day, um, are happening, you know, here in Star Trek and they're just as distasteful. Yeah, uh, I mean, I guess the only thing that I would that I would compare that to is, well, at least we don't see that happen in Starfleet, or do we? Uh, or do we exactly? So, yeah, it's 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 interest. It's an interesting turn of events as to what's going to happen with her. We don't know what's going to happen with, but we kind of have a good idea. And everyone say, "Oh my God, how can they do that?" Well, it happens now all the time. Um, but uh, it's it's interesting that uh, we still have it. Uh, in the Star Trek universe at the time where it's supposed to always be paradise. Well, Star Trek has always been a mirror for, for us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Romulans are still a mirror for us. I mean, even though they're an alien species, they're an element of, of some part of humanity that, that, that possesses those qualities. So it's, um, it, it's kind of super distasteful to look at it in that mirror. Um, just as much as it is to hear about it in everyday life. So, um, I will say that as we move into to likes and, and, and things we wish to had gone differently, um, I mentioned earlier that I had a huge crush on uh, Nichelle Nichols growing up. I also had a super huge crush on Adrian Barbeau. Ugh. And when I saw her in a Star Trek Deep Space Nine episode, I was like, oh, my God, it's Adrian Barbeau. And she was I had the crush, too, man. Don't don't get me wrong. Oh, my God. I had the crush on her like you wouldn't believe and what's what's interesting about her is when you have a crush, it would be like Linda Carter, Wonder Woman, if she showed up on Star Trek. You knew it was Adrian the second she was on screen. She just has those eyes and that voice that you just don't forget. And I thought it was it was wonderful to have her as Kretak. I was a little confused at first because somebody else played Kretak for a few episodes. But then when she came, oh, my God, I was so happy to see her as part of the Star Trek family. It just made me smile. And she's delightful in this episode too. I mean, she really puts in a performance that I think is just is fantastic. Yeah, it is. Fan- I would have loved to seen her in in subsequent episodes or maybe a a, a very recurring character, but uh, obviously that was not to be. No, she did. Kretak, <laughs> <laughs> that is. She uh, did. She did. <laughs> I'm t- I'm taking that leap. I mean, it's Romulus. Yeah, we're gonna. This we're is act- what they do. I think we're going to actually discuss that a little bit more later, but uh, great, great character. The, 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 I was trying to save your life. Kaval was a great line from her in that she, you could just tell that this, this 
this Romulan center who's such a patriot for her for her planet, she hears these things coming out of the mouths of the of the head of the Tal Shiar and the Romulan government, and she's just rolling her eyes because she thinks that these people are so blind as to what's actually going on. And I think that was a great performance from her, specifically in that scene, to show um the 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 way she's thinking without actually saying much about it. Well, I love the scene between her and Bashir where she tells him he'd make a great operative, you know, yes. at the uh, at, at the reception. Mm-hmm. I think that that it's just so beautifully played by both of them, both Sid and by by Adrian Barbeau, that uh, it's actually one of my favorite scenes of the episode with the banter back and forth between them. So, uh, Dan, I know you've got a you're a huge Section 31 guy. You love this episode as much as you've lo- you love the mirror universe and other stuff. Uh, tell me all about your likes for this episode. I got a lot of likes, and and a lot of the likes are the performances by people. We've already talked about Adrian as Kretak. She's fantastic as this. Love her. Would like I said, would have loved to seen her a lot more. But I also got to give it up for John Fleck as as Caval. He is a great Romulan. I mean, we've seen him as a Suliban, of course, and we've seen him in different as different characters in the Star Trek universe. He's always been a great guest actor um, on Star Trek, but this portrayal of the head of the Tal Shiar is, is fantastic. He's so cold and he's so, he's so perfect in this role. And it's to me as great as he is in the role, it's just as surprising to find out that he's actually the mole and working with the Federation. Um, it was, it was, it was brilliantly done. And the story that he weaves at the end uh, for the Senate and the Praetor is, is, is very well performed by, by John. Um, and of course, if we're talking section 31 bill, we can't not talk about William Sadler as Sloan. Uh, he is so good in this role. And every time he's on screen, whether he's just staring at Kukulaka or not, it doesn't matter because he's good at what he does. And I loved, I loved him as well. Um, a couple of other things that I, that I really liked about this episode is, is we've seen the formal uniforms for the Federation in some of the movies. Um, I love, I love them here on DS nine. I think there are some subtle changes in this and in these uniforms as compared to, uh, other, uh, uh, movies like Insurrection. Uh, I love the white. I love the gold trim. I like the way that the bottom of the uniform and the front kind of comes to points on each side. I just think they look great. And I will say, uh, Alexander is a, a is a handsome man, and he looks great in this uniform, as does Admiral Ross. I just really, really love the way that those uniforms look. And I would love to have one for a cosplay in uh, Vegas sometime, if there's anybody out there who wants to make one for me. Uh <laughs> <laughs> you could just buy one from Inovos. Oh, that's saying. oh yes, that's right. Good point. Um, and finally, I've talked about it a little bit. One of the things that I like the most about this episode is the way that Koval and Sloan weave this story that Section 31 doesn't even exist. And it's just made up by a crazy intelligence officer who just wants revenge. It's a great way to have the whole thing about section 31 with Bashir telling the Praetor about the secret organization. And then they come back and say, nah, it's not real. This guy's just nuts. And by the way, I'm going to vaporize him right in front of you. So you can never talk to him about it again. I thought it was diabolical and ingenious and I loved it. Other than that, you have no strong feelings, no strong feelings at all. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree with you. I, I have to love the casting in this episode all around. Um, William Sadler is always just such a treat as Sloan. I mean, he's great in everything. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. With the exception of Die Hard 2, because Die Hard 2 sucks. <laughs> We've got you. 
Yeah. Deep yeah. Down. I don't need to see that much of William Sadler. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now people are starting to realize what I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, John Fleck is, is Cabal is really kind of just super, super devious. He's just got that voice yes. and that, that, that posturing and that method where, you know, you know that he's just there, you know, to, to do something very, very bad. Uh, and he's he's fantastic whenever he shows up in Star Trek. Um, I, I love I love the fact that we go to Romulus and it's not uh, it's not breaking a treaty and it's not under cover of darkness and it's not on a cloaked Klingon ship. I love that we get to go there and just be Starfleet, you know, and and talk about Starfleet ideals. That's one of the things I really like about this episode. You know, Julian is there to educate people about the quickening as well as Ketracel White. And he's spreading that knowledge. And that's kind of what I hope the future is kind of like someday. You know what I mean? Um, Even if the Romulans want to use it to, you know, deploy as a weapon, um, Julian's talking about the real impact on on humanoids. And I think that that's super important in this episode. And then, I mean, as I just like the mirror universe, I am not as big a fan of section 31 as you. Mm Mm-hmm. But I think that this is by far the most intriguing and the most well put together episode of, for Section Thirty One that we've ever had. I agree. Um, it, it's just done in such a way that it really makes you think about. It, it makes me think about. Oh my God! There's probably stuff like this going on right now. There's probably a Section Thirty One, quote unquote, somewhere here in today's world, and it really makes you stop and think about the lengths that. Uh, people and organizations will go to in order to, to get their goals. But um, you, you said something a minute ago, which I really found interesting and, and agree with, and that's that we're on Romulus and we're welcomed and we're there not under the cover of night, like you said, and not on some secret mission. But I did find it very interesting that whenever they showed the exterior of the planet and we saw the Federation ship, there were like 12 Romulan warbirds surrounding it just in case. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, those intrepid class starships are, are pretty toothy. <laughs> well, you know, Dan, there are those who would say we do have that organization right now. It's called the CIA. True. And, you know, the Israelis have one called the Mossad. Mm. And every country has its own intelligence, you know, clandestine type organization. And Section 31 is really just sort of the future well, um, take me, on that. Well, let me ask you this. Yeah, we have the CIA and we have other countries have those organizations, but they're organizations that are known and are part of quote unquote government section the federation has starfleet intelligence but this is something even different than that so i kind of gotta wonder this is a secret organization that answers to nobody is not funded officially by the federation or whatnot so it makes you think is there some kind of secret unknown organization in any country's government today sort of like section 31 well, I'm going to say since we already have milita- the military intelligence apparatus, like army intelligence and, and naval intelligence, uh, obviously we know about the central intelligence agency, but um, we discover things about them all the time that we had no idea they were doing. Well, that's true. You know, and I think that that's kind of what Section 31 is intended to represent personally. Okay. I can, I can go with that. That's a, that's my headcanon, if you will. All right. 
Um, so, Dan, there were some things about this episode that, that really kind of grind your gears. Oh, there are a couple. They're small, but oh, my God. One of them, and and I, I talked to this. We I watched this when I was on vacation at the camp a couple weeks ago. I watched this episode with my wife, and she loved the episode, by the way. She's a big fan of the episode. But I said to her, I said, before we watch this, there's a phrase that Bashir used in this episode several times, and it drives me insane. And it's whenever he's talking about the Romulans and peace and he says, blah, 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 between our peoples. And he says it only three times in this episode, but it feels like a hundred. And it, I don't know why it, I, I can't stand it. It just drives me crazy. And every time it played while I was watching with my wife, she'd look at me and I just hold up a finger as to how many times he had said it so far. And I I thought you were going to be holding up a different finger. (laughs) Yeah, really. And I think he says it. A lot more in different episodes, but in this one, oh my god, it just drives me nuts. I don't know why, I, but I just, I, I, uh, I don't know. I just don't like it. <laughs> okay. And, uh, and, anything else? Yeah, um, Bill, is it just me? Because uh, we've seen it in other episodes, but is Deep Space? Does Deep Space Nine have the most uncomfortable looking beds like ever? Because the people, when they're laying on it, like when Bashir's, when Sloan's watching him, and it, he does not look comfortable. It does not look like a very comfortable bed. I don't know if I'd want to sleep on a Cardassian space station if that's what the beds are going to be like. Well, I got no problem with the beds, but have you ever observed the pillows? <laughs> what pillows? <laughs> they're like triangles. <laughs> I mean, it's, I don't get it. Yeah. Uh, but I got to tell you, if those are my if those are my only gripes about this episode, then the episode's pretty good because those are little tiny things. But if you ever say between our peoples to me, I will probably punch you in the throat. Oh, I can't wait for this. <laughs> um, I don't really have any gripes as far as this episode, although I do think there is one thing I wish were slightly different. In the conference room on the Bellerophon, when um, Bashir goes to confront Admiral Ross, um, it's a great scene between those two actors. Um, don't get me wrong, but the ending of it really just sort of is a little too quick for me. You know, I, I wanted there to be a little more conflict and I wanted there to be a kind of a different resolution than just Ross putting his comm badge back on and saying this discussion is over. This conversation um, never happened. Yeah. 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 I, I, I wanted something just a little different where maybe there's more tension between the two of them going forward you know, where maybe um, maybe it is a little more contentious. Maybe there is a lot more yelling on both sides. Um, it was, don't get me wrong, it is a great scene. Um, but I think that's just, you know, my own personal, you know, if I were rewriting it myself, I might add that. Mm-hmm. But really, that's so minor in the scope of this episode. I, I can agree with that. I loved how Bashir just kind of threw his or tossed his communicator on the table. And you could see the look in Ross's eyes. It's like, oh, this isn't going to go well. Um, I will say that it was a little weak. The only real conflict that took place during that, 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 that discussion is when, when Bashir like spun Ross's chair around, this was something that he felt so bad. I wouldn't have been surprised to see him push Ross or point his finger in his face or something like that. And it just didn't happen. I agree with what you said. Great. What, well, great scene though, not taking anything away from it, but there could have been some more teeth to it. I agree with what you're saying there. I, I do want to say that the way Julian leaves that scene is is awesome. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned, you know, the, the whole combat thing before Ross puts his back on. That's not the beautiful part of the scene. The beautiful part is what Sid does afterwards. He picks his combat up off the table. And instead of putting it on like Ross does, he <laughs> looks at it 
and gives it just the the slightly you know little longer of a look and then looks at Ross and then doesn't put it back on when he walks out of the room. Yes, and that to me said more than than half the things he said to Ross in the room. Yep. You know, in, in that look, he was to me was questioning Starfleet. He was questioning his loyalty. He was questioning Ross. He was questioning why he puts on the uniform all with that one simple pause. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was just a really great moment and decision there. Yeah, I, I agree. It was good. I, I love those type of scenes uh, where there are subtle things done, but they speak volumes. And that's that's a perfect example of it. So, Dan, let's move into our central questions as we are often want to do in episodes like this. Um, just sort of things that I've jotted down off the top of my head. And uh, we'll start with this. Is Julian Bashir the only character this episode works for story-wise? And by asking that, do I mean, could it have worked with any other Deep Space Nine character in that role in this episode? Um, I think based on how Julian's character developed later in the series, especially with his genetic engineering and his his <laughs> love for section 31 which sounds kind of strange i think yes if anybody else were going to do it as strange as this may sound i would pick probably garrick as the other person who may have been able to do it he's been on romulus he has the experience for being a spy um his emotions might get in the way a little bit even though he's really good at what he does um but for the most part, I'd have to say, yeah, Bashir is the one that for me uh, it works the most for, and don't think any other crew member could have really have have played the played the role. I'm going to say that the only other Deep Space Nine character I think that would have fit in this episode is the one who died the season before, and I'm going to say Jadzia. Um, I think this could have been a really compelling story for her as well. Um, because of her analytical mind, because of uh, the way she deals with intrigue. Um, but uh, that's not to say Bashir isn't the right fit for this episode. I just thought it was interesting to consider what other characters could have fit in this episode. Interesting. I never even thought of Jadzia. I'd have to I'd have to give that some more thought to see if it would work. My concern with that, with Jadzia, is, well, actually, maybe that's more Esri, is she gets too emotional about something sometimes. I think that's more Esri, though. So it, that might be a good pick. I'll have to put some thought into that, man. Well, I've always thought that, you know, with the, the Dax symbiont, you know, having the lifetimes of experience, mm-hmm. you know, it certainly gives Jadzia a, a different way with which to approach things. Sure. Um, and the dynamic between her and Sloan could have been very interesting. So. Nice. Um, Dan, question number two. I've already articulated my thoughts on this, but um, is Kretak dead? Uh, you know, we've had this discussion off program and... It's a hard question. I, and we know what Romulus is like. Um, I want to say no, but oh God, with everything that happened, you got to think that she probably is. I just hope not. Uh, we never hear about her or from her again. So, of course, probably is. But oh, it's tough. I mean, I, I don't know. We could go. We could do a whole episode on on what we think happened to Kretak, to be quite honest. Um Admiral Ross seems to hope that she won't be executed, but probably thinks she's going to be. I'd like to say no, but I, I got to unfortunately admit that, yeah, she probably is. Yeah, I'm thinking you don't cross the head of the Tal Shiar without paying the ultimate price. Yeah. Um, and I'll, granted, they maneuvered her into that situation. Mm-hmm. But um, at the end of the day, uh, she dead. I And you know what? If she is dead, 
it's probably better that she is dead because if she was kept alive and imprisoned or whatnot, that probably would be pretty bad. So it might be. Uh, they would have just sent her to Remus. <laughs> like I said, it would have been pretty bad. She would have run into that other whack job, Shinzon, and who knows what would have happened. Uh, who knows? <laughs> who knows? Um, yes, yeah, so I, I think that we're, we're both pretty much in agreement on that. I think Ross's line, you know, I, I hope not, is is kind of kind of belies what he really thinks. Mm-hmm. Meaning, uh, she probably is, but I hope not. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's too bad. Um, question number three. Is this plan unethical based on the title of the episode? I mean, if we take into consideration in the time of war, the laws fall silent. Um, is this is this really bad stuff? Well, there's that phrase, but that doesn't make it right. Um, it's unfortunate that in times of war, the law falls silent. So, yeah, to me, it's unethical. Um, I think if it had been... If it had been just a way to get, as Sloan once said, a pulse of what the Romulan government is like, that's a different story. Um, but everything that takes place here, I yeah, I think it is. Even based on the title, to me, it, it's unethical and, and wrong. Uh, but I'm sure that there are many people out there that will think the exact opposite. And I'm not sure if you're one of them. Um. No, I'm not. I'm not one of them at all. I think it's absolutely unethical. I think that um, you know we've colluded with the Romulan government to essentially take out one of their senators. Um, that's that's pretty horrible. <laughs> that's that's incredibly unstarfleet. You yeah. know, um, it doesn't get much more unstarfleet than than that. Although mm-hmm. this leads me to my next central question and probably the final one we'll examine today. Assuming for the moment that Kretak is dead, let's just state that for the record, you know, if it's in the scope of this question, let's assume that she's dead. Are Admiral Ross's actions any different or worse than Benjamin Sisko's actions in, in the pale moonlight? Oh gosh. You know, let's put it this way. I, I, I don't know if this is going to be an answer or a, um, avoiding, avoiding the question, but the actions that Ben took, he was an accessory to murder. He lied. He did, he did what he did, but he never intended for the Senator to be killed by Garrick. I don't think he had any idea that that was going to happen. Um, so it's a little bit different. I think Ross, knew that he had to he had to have someone play the person who was going to pay the price and he picked that person to be Kretak. so as much as we've talked about what ben did as being completely unstarfleet i don't think what oh gosh it's so hard um is it worse yes (laughs) here we go yes and no (laughs) Well, I think that's that's kind of what happens with section 31 episodes, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's so hard to it's so hard to draw the line and and say when it's crossing that line. Um there's so much badness on both sides with the Ben situation and the Ross situation. Um oh gosh, I could there's so many thoughts in my head right now. I don't know if I could put them into context that would make sense just talking about it. I'm going to say it's at least as bad but it's definitely worse. 
Um, because like you said, Cisco didn't go in there with the intention of killing Vrainak. Right. Um, Ross went in there knowing that one of the eventual outcomes was probably the death of Kreetak. Um, because yeah. he had to know. Yeah. He had to know, especially with, you know, having a mole in you know, as the head of the Tal Shiar in his back pocket. How the heck Along did that with section happen? 31. Man. I know. I know. <laughs> um, so I, I have to think that it's, it's, it's as bad, if not worse. And I'm going to go with worse. Okay. I can, you know, I we've, can. yeah. So here's, here's the last question that just occurred to me off the top of my head. Admiral Ross has been one of the standout admirals in, in Star Trek, you know, like Necheyev, he's a bit of a white hat. You know, he's never been one of those admirals that you've gone. Oh man, not this guy mm-hmm. because he was always Starfleet through and through. Is Ross now a bad admiral? No, I don't think he is because we've seen other things that he's done after this episode. Uh, I don't think I would categorize him as a bad admiral. What he did in this episode was reprehensible, um, but uh, it's it's not a pattern. It's not something that we ever saw before. Um, you know, could there have been things going on at Starbase that we never saw during the war? Yeah, but since we never saw it, I can't I can't judge him on something that we didn't see or hear or or watch. So I don't think he's a bad admiral. I've always really appreciated what he did. Uh, as that character as, as Admiral Ross. So I'm going to say no on that. I'm going to go with the Dan Davidson answer of yes and no, (laughs) largely no, because he's, like I said, he's Starfleet through and through, man. He wears the white hat, but this, um, is not good. (laughs) Not good. Not good. Not good at all. And it, it makes me look at him a little differently. Not, you know, um, in the necessarily in the bad moral way, but I don't necessarily question his ethics, but I certainly question his character on yep. some level. Yep. You know, so well, that's, uh, any parting thoughts on a inter arma Einem Seelent Legus? You've actually, you know, as many times as I've watched this episode, this is one of those episodes that I'll watch over and again, over and over again. I love it. You've given me a lot of different aspects of the episode from different angles that are really going to make me think about different things the next time I watch it. That's what I love about these conversations is we get different viewpoints and I can't wait to watch it again, looking at through the Bill Smith rose colored glasses. It's going to be pretty awesome. I think my glasses are anything but rose colored in this one. (laughs) Dan, I'm just looking to find a common ground between our peoples. Oh my God. God. (laughs) The good thing we're not driving in tomorrow because the first thing I would do is greet you and then punch you. (laughs) (laughs) After your work at the gym last week, I'm still not sure you can lift your arms high enough to do that. Uh, Dan, the other thing we want to uh, bring to a mutual understanding between our peoples is how awesome five-year mission is. We love those guys. They are so amazing. We're going to let people in on a little secret right now, Dan, during STLV. We are going to give away 10 copies of year four what? at STLV randomly. We're going to pick one day and we're going to be somewhere at STLV and we're going to post on social media. If you want a copy of five-year missions year four, come find us now. And then 10 lucky listeners are going to wind up with copies of five-year missions year four, man. That's what we're doing at STLV. Surprise. I already have a copy, but can I still do it? Because that sounds like fun. <laughs> no, that's no. that's fantastic news. And that's a folks. Listen, I, I'm just going to say this right now. If you don't have year four, first of all, shame on you. But second of all, that's not a bad thing because 
we're going to give them away and you're going to want it. You're going to want to, to listen to it over and over again, just like Bill has always said. So, uh, yeah, that dude, that's cool news. I like that a lot. So head on out to five year mission.net, get a little taste for your four. If you're going to STLV, keep an eye on your social media on the Twitters and on the Facebooks. Cause we're going to post one day during the convention that we're giving away 10 copies. But we want to thank them so much for for letting us use their music on our show. It's every ounce of music you hear on Trek Geeks and on Discovering Trek. And um, we love the band, and we hope that you will too. You know, Dan, they're doing one song for every episode of the original Star Trek. And this is, as I keep telling people, this is not a parody band. This is looking at episodes in a different way with original compositions that really are just lights out. They are fantastic. It is such a shame that they are not the house band at STLV this year. Again, I don't know what the deal is with that. So I'm just going to leave that as is. But, you know, it was really interesting, the discussion that we had today, Bill. It was a great discussion. Uh, And it reminded me of another time when all hell was actually going to break loose with the band. I don't know if you've ever heard about this story. It It was pretty serious stuff. It was a tough time. And tough decisions had to be made. And they were decisions that weren't ones that most civilized people would agree with. Uh, There were secrets. There were back back room deals. It was bad. But in the end, it it actually all worked out. Because as they say, in times of FARC, the law falls silent. And of course, I'm talking about that spectacular episode, Inter Farkma Enum Sealant Legis. it's just very reminiscent of what we talked about today. And I just thought I'd bring it out there. Oh my. Um, yeah. Legus tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Legus tomorrow. (laughs) I thought was much better than inter. I am Farkham. You don't even get it right. (laughs) Uh, Whatever. Uh, I'm amazed you got it right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Anyway, five year mission.net and keep an eye out for us at STLV. Cause, uh, we're going to give, 10 lucky people a copy of year four and we can't wait to do it dan next week we're getting ready to make our annual pilgrimage out to the desert for star trek las vegas and we thought that this particular episode might be kind of cool to get us ready for our trip yeah i i would advise you to keep quiet smithy yes it seems a bit apropos to discuss this episode next week, doesn't it, man? Uh, there's a bunch of gangsters in it, and we're going to be heading out to Vegas. So so next week, everyone, we're going to discuss what, in my opinion, is the best of comedic TOS episodes. It's a piece of the action next week on an all-new Trek Geeks, your independent Star Trek podcast. I got to tell you, I love the history of the mob in Vegas. You know, I love reading about and seeing documentaries on all that stuff because it just fascinates me. And granted, this is Chicago mobs uh, on Sigma Iosha, (laughs) but uh, I think it's it's just a great little tie in to uh, to our Vegas trip. So that's next week on an all new Trek Geeks. Uh, Dan, of course, for more great Star Trek discussion, we want everyone to check out the Tricorder Transmissions online at the TricorderTransmissions.com. People should be listening to Shore Leave to get ready for STLV. That's for sure. And of course, for all the news on all the Star Trek's, yo, please visit our great friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode 145 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. Back my bags. Last night, pre-flight. Zero hour. 9 a.m. And I'm going to be...
as a coconut by then. Music for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing one song for each episode of the original series. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast, is a production of Coconut Media Works, executive producer Bill Smith. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and discoveringtrek.com. Bing bong! <sighs> I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Thank you for being so excited to be here for the listeners today, Dan. I'm very happy um, to have you on board as usual. I am so excited to be here for the listeners. It's you that bore me, Bill. Yeah. Good morning. <laughs> yeah. 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 Whatever. Ooh, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Ready. Let's go. Go, 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 go. See? I'm ready. And begin. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> How are you? I'm uh, I'm not too bad. I'm on my first cup of coffee. As it's am I. Sunday morning as we record this. Mm, rainy. Uh, which makes me think of a Maroon 5 song, but okay. All right. Okay. Called Sunday Morning. Sunday, and as we record No, sorry. No. No, not gonna. As we record this, mm-hmm. there are a mere 10 days until Star Trek Las Vegas starts. We're almost in the single digits. The worst part is that we hit single digits on a Monday. Yeah, but for me, it's such a special Monday that it doesn't bother me. <laughs> Sorry, being selfish. I'm waiting. I'm, I'm waiting. Being, I'm being selfish. Tomorrow's the final walkthrough for the house, baby. You're building a house? Yeah, I'm, I'm not building it personally because then it would look like a stack of cards that fell over. But yes. That's good because, I mean, you couldn't build a Lego house if you had to. I couldn't build a paper bag full of water, man. Well, here's your first problems. Paper bags don't really hold water very well. See? (laughs) You're so mean to me. I'm not mean. I'm just being honest. As we found out, honesty is always helpful. It is. It is. Honesty is. You know what? I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to try to think of a phrase that, that might work for that. Honesty is the best policy. How do you like that? Huh? I'm going to go with uh, honesty is such a lonely word. Cicero. Everyone is so untrue. <laughs> oh, no, wait. That's Billy Joel. <laughs> that's, wow. Good flashback there. Thank you. By the way, that's the best song on 52nd Street. Okay. Well, maybe we'll have to cue uh, that one up for a certain Friday something or other. Something, something. Uh, it's kind of a downer. Oh, all right. Well, being with you yeah. every Friday to do the commute thing is kind of a downer. So why not just add to the pie? That's a choice you've made, my friend. <laughs> what are you having for coffee? <laughs> Notice how you kind of <laughs> jetted out of that as quickly as you could. <laughs> yeah, I did. That's a uh, that one was not very graceful. <sighs> graceful? I'm not graceful. I'm more no. Georgie than graceful. More what? George. George. George and great. Gracie. Oh, God. Just shut your face. Wow. I'm not through my first cup of coffee yet. You can't do horrible puns like that. Sorry. You're such an ass. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Wow. That's a great way to start my Sunday. Huh. Here I was. (laughs) That's 
have a have a great conversation with you and be nice and not be any kind of 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 negative 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 narnia or whatever you want to call it negative something dattering nabob of negativism thank you that was thank you very nice and you just go ahead and haul off on me no 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 no. i think you would agree that that's probably one of the nicest names i've ever called you compared to all of the other names i've called you all right people you should hear some of these names that he calls me i don't even know why i'm (laughs) guy to be honest with you he's just so cute though isn't he yeah, it's because I've built you a podcasting empire. Ooh, wow! <laughs> and no, I don't believe that for a second. I was going to say, wow, that's not that's so unlike you. But you know, I know. Uh, so to get back to your original question and yes. the rather circuitous route I've taken to get mm-hmm. to answering mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. Uh, I'm drinking a Green Mountains Nantucket Blend coffee, which is one of my just go to smooth, drinkable first cup of the day coffees. You know, the best part of waking up. I think we've done that before, so I'm not going to do it. Talking to you? There you go. See, now you're not. Now you're being nice. Now you're being truthful. Now you're being honest. I like that. That was complete sarcasm. <laughs> I've got um, Southern Pecan coffee this morning. It's 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 quite good. Now, I, there are a couple of different schools of thought on this. There's mm. Pecan, Pecan, which makes it sound like it's a place that, you know, you um, might relieve yourself. Or there's Pecan. <laughs> Yes. And Cap- I'm I, I default to pecan. Because it sounds like a captain of the Enterprise? No. What ca- captain does it sound like? Picard. Pe- oh, see, oh. I was focusing on the con. Oh, I didn't even think of that. See, you're already educating me. To- you're a wonderful human being. I think the only thing we've demonstrated today is that you and I both need more coffee. <laughs> yeah, 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 we do. Yeah. That's okay, though. <laughs> <laughs> 10 days of Vegas. Oh, my God. I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. So so here's a little ironing and, story. And discovery oh. all over the place, by oh, the way. Oh, my God. I cannot wait uh, <laughs> to talk about the discovery stuff because... I was not expecting the stuff that we got for discovery from uh, SDCC. I'm just going to say that right now. So ironing story. So you were ironing your underwear and? No. Um, So yesterday we were just kind of relaxing, not doing much. It was in the evening after dinner. I said, you know what? With the move coming up, I got to go downstairs. I got to start ironing all the stuff that I need to take to Vegas because I want to put it somewhere where I won't forget it, lose it, misplace it. Or anything like that, because I don't, I don't, I, you know, I like to be prepared and I usually start packing before a trip about a week before anyway. And Sue's like, no, we're sitting here relaxing. You can't do that. I said, well, I need to get it done. She goes, no. I said, well, when can I do it? She goes, tomorrow. I go, if I say tomorrow that I'm going to go downstairs and do some ironing, you're going to give me a bunch of shit about it. So I need to get it done. And she's like, no, you can go tomorrow. So today I have to iron all my all my uh, stuff for Vegas. And hopefully I won't get in trouble. Okay, I've got a couple of questions that really just come off the top of my head here. <laughs> Why do I do um, this to myself? I don't know. I really don't know. <laughs> so let me see if I understand your calculus. I understand that you iron everything. I, I'm, I've made my peace with it. I can mock you at various times about it. But this is really more of, a, of an inquisition as to, uh, as to your plan. So you're going to iron the stuff mm. and you're going to pack the stuff mm-hmm. and then the stuff is going to make a, 
I don't know, 1700 mile journey to Las Vegas or however many miles it is. And then you're going to unpack the stuff and it's going to look like it's been in a suitcase. No, it isn't. So, so why iron the stuff? Because then, uh, well, I, I understand what you're saying, but if I iron it now and then it, if it has anything in it, when I get out there and I'm going to wear it, it's much quicker to do a quick zip with just those iron, where those packing wrinkles are than the whole shirt. Because when I iron, dude, I'm like, I'm like a, a chemistry calculus professor with my angles and, and pressure points and stuff like that. I am an ironing pro, I will have to say. So <laughs> when, I, when I'm in Vegas, it's just going to be a quick shoom, shoom, and it's going to be all done. Oh, a quick what? Shoom, shoom. So second question, at some point in the future, like years down the road, are we going to have to pack in extra days into our schedule just for you to iron in Las Vegas? No, because being a pro at it, I'm also quick. So it'll be like, shoom, shoom, and it'll be all done. So many comments, <laughs> so little time. <laughs> I knew I walked into that one again. <sighs> Can we just start? <laughs> That's what she said. I couldn't pass it up. <laughs> You ready? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do this. All right, buddy. Coconut. <laughs>